Awesome. Good evening. You good? It's a good worship tonight. Wasn't it good? Love that. Do you love Jesus? It's awesome. Hey, welcome. Listen, in a couple of weeks, uh, we get an opportunity to celebrate uh, the resurrection, Easter. And I, I do want to challenge you, and we'll talk a little bit more about that later, but I want you to be praying about who it is that God's put on your heart to bring, to hear a message of hope. You know, and I'm pretty excited about that. But be thinking, you know, who is it that God's put it on your heart for them to come and find a hope that they're going to they're gonna find that day. I promise it's going to be wonderful. Hey, listen, we have a really uh, special opportunity tonight to, uh, that, that I'm looking forward to, to introduce to you somebody that you already know. But I am looking forward to allowing Ellen to come up here and share with you her heart. God's given her a word, and I just believe with all my heart that this was for us, right? So uh, tomorrow morning, um, uh, Jack, Jack Hafer, are you kidding me? You know, so Glenn Burris is going to be here. He's the president of Foursquare. Jack Hayford used to be the president of Foursquare. Glenn Burris is going to be here, and I'd love you to come back. So if you're free tomorrow morning at all, I'd love you to have you come back and hear the president of our denomination come and share. But tonight, we have somebody even better than that. I have Ellen. Will you guys join me in welcoming uh, one of the greatest people I know, Ellen? Thank you, Pastor Lance. Well, if you don't know me, my name is Ellen Kim. I'm the youth pastor here at Puget Sound Christian Center. I'm so excited, so honored, humbled to be asked to be sharing the word tonight. And so I'm super, super excited. I'm a little nervous as well, but I think it's going to be great. Um, the title of my message tonight is called, is Belonging to a Kingdom. So we're going to be talking about belonging tonight. We're going to be talking about the kingdom of God. And of course, as a next-gen youth pastor, we've got to talk about youth and the next generation, right? So we're going to be talking about all of those things and what all of those, how they all relate to one another. So, But first, would you pray with me as we get ready and enter into a time of hearing God's word? Jesus, we love you so much, Lord. We thank you for your word that is alive and breathing. Lord, we pray that you would begin to open up our hearts, Lord, that the word would come and we'd listen to it, we'd hear it, we'd hear your voice, Lord, that it would convict us, that it would encourage us, that it would comfort us, Lord, give us strength, Lord. We love you so much and pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, the first thing we're going to talk about is, is belonging. Belonging. So what is belonging? Belonging is this innate desire in all of us to be connected and part of something that's larger than us. Belonging is a pretty universal feeling. Everybody wants to belong to something. That's why we're in our own human nature. We're built for relationship because we want to belong to a human population. We want to belong to something that's bigger than us. So when we think about belonging, there's a lot of different places that we can belong to. We can belong to a geographic location like a city. We belong and live in a city. Or we can belong to different friend groups or social circles. Or we can belong to different seasons of life even. So as we talk about belonging, we can think about that things can change in our lives and our belongings can change over the years as well. And maybe things in an instant, we can now, we can belong to something that we maybe never thought we'd belong to before. In my own story, I'd love to share with you a little bit of my story of places where I've belonged. And so I was born in, the first place that I identified where I belonged was the Deep South. So I was born in Dallas, Texas. In, in, and I lived there for the first 10 years of my life. It's kind of surprising. I never thought I'd be born in Texas, but that's where I was born. So I was born in Dallas, Texas, and I lived there for the first 10 years of my life. And then my, me and my family, we moved from Dallas, 4,000 miles, to here in Seattle. We've been here for the past 15 years. My parents live up in Woodenville, Washington, which is about 40 minutes out northeast of Seattle. 
And growing up, we, when we first moved to Seattle, we then got connected to a local church. We got connected to a small um, Korean, non-denominational, American, Korean-American church. And that's where we kind of found our belonging for a couple of years. Then as I went from elementary school through junior high school and high school, we kind of bounced around churches a little bit. We found belonging in a lot of different church congregations. And then afterwards, and so that's like kind of our, my church history of belonging. In my social circles of belonging, I belong to the band geek crowd. Anybody belong to like the band geeks at all? So I was a band geek. So I learned the piano at a young age, and then I learned the flute in fifth grade. And then I proceeded to learn the alto saxophone to join jazz band. And then I learned the piccolo to join marching band. So I was all about band, uh, all about the trips, all about the different practices, rehearsals. I was up at, at the school at zero periods. I was up at six o'clock ready to play music. So that was who I'd identified with. That was, that was my people crowd. That was who I belonged to. Then in high school, after high school, I graduated high school, and then I went to Seattle Pacific University. I went to SPU, and I graduated with a degree in mathematics, which it does relate to ministry. I will tell you that, although it may not seem like it, but it does. And I graduated with a degree in mathematics, and I found belonging in different places at SPU. I belonged to a floor called Fifth Hill. I belonged to my major group in the math department. And then it was in, I was at SPU where I started going to a four-square church, and I found belonging in a larger four-square denomination. I started going to, a friend of mine introduced me to Eastside Foursquare Church up in Bothell, Washington, and that's where I found belonging into another church. So I was there for a little bit. I, was, I went through the summer internship program there, and then afterwards I went to camp with them, and as a denomination, as an area, we do camps together all over the Seattle area, and so that's where I met Omar and Missy, and that's how I got connected to here at PSCC. So after, so that was my college year, so post-college, Bear with me, we're almost done here. I'm not that old. Um, post-college, I go and I decided to go abroad, and I belong to a nonprofit organization that sent me to southern France to be a missionary for eight months. So I lived in southern France in the city called Marseille, France, and I worked and I lived among people there for eight months. And I got to travel all over North Africa, travel all over Europe, and it was an amazing experience. But I had to come home. Sadly, I came home and I found belonging and I remembered that I belonged to a larger denomination and I belonged to Foursquare. So I came back and I asked Omar and Missy if I could have an opportunity to come and intern with them, to be down here, to be with you guys. And so it was through that year of interning where I was then approached and God was stirring something in me and talking with Lance and Omar. We started to discover and explore the idea of me stepping into youth ministry. And so that's how I came to belong here at PSCC. So I hope that it gives you a little bit of context of where the different places I've belonged to. I'm sure each and every one of you guys can identify the different places where you have belonged to. But I think sometimes when I was thinking about belonging, I found that it was getting a little bit frustrating because I was realizing, wow, there's just, there's not really like a lot of things that I've, I've belonged to over the course of the entire span of my lifetime. Like there's family that I've belonged to, but there's things and seasons in our life where our belonging has changed. And so belonging in a sense is a little more temporal than I would like it to be, right? Belonging is never going to be, it's not always going to be permanent. We aren't guaranteed any kind of permanence in belonging. So the question is, where do we find a more permanent sense of belonging? How can we come to a place and how do we live in that tension of we're going through our lives and we're realizing that things in our lives are changing and we're going to have to switch belonging and we have to find other people and other friend groups. I want to say to you tonight that my, the message to me that I want to share with you is that you belong in the kingdom of God. And in the kingdom of God is where we can find permanence and we can find a place to settle into, a place that we can belong forever. 
So if you would turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2, verses 19 through 22. And it's talking about Christ's work on the cross. And I'm going to read it. It's on the screen. It's out of the message version. Because as a youth pastor, I found a lot of times it's easier to read to students the Bible out of the message version. Because it's a lot more relatable. It's a lot more modern context. It is an interpretation. But it's a way that students can connect with the Bible. So here, this is what it says. It says, that's plain enough, isn't it? You're no longer wandering exiles. The kingdom of faith is now your home country. You're no longer strangers or outsiders. You belong here with as much right to the name Christian as anyone. God is building a home. He's using us all, irrespective of how we got here and what he is building. He used the apostles and prophets for the foundation. Now he's using you, fitting you in brick by brick, stone by stone, with Christ Jesus as the cornerstone that holds all the parts together. We see it taking shape day after day, a holy temple built by God, all of us built into it, a temple in which God is quite at home. So in this passage, I feel like it speaks for itself, but it's, it answers the question of why do we, be, and we can answer, ask ourselves some of these questions of why do we belong in God's kingdom? Why do we belong? Well, it's not my great idea. I wish it was, but it's actually God's idea from the beginning that we don't really have a choice that God is the one who designed it all along. If we look at the verses before that, in verses 7 through 10, it says, Saving is all his, God's idea, and all his work. All we do is trust him enough to let him do it. It's God's gift from start to finish. We don't play the major role. So it's God's work for it, and it's God's plan for us that we would belong into his kingdom. We know that how do we get to belong into his kingdom? We know through Christ's work on the cross. Verses 16 through 18 says, Christ brought us together through his death on the cross. The cross got us to embrace, and that was the end of the hostility. Christ came and preached peace to you outsiders and peace to us insiders. He treated us as equals and so made us equals. Through him, we both share the same spirit and have equal access to the Father. So in this verse, we see that Christ leveled the playing field for all of us. That there's no caste system. There's no, you did this, and so you get to, like, go move up the line to get into heaven to belong to God's kingdom. That through Christ's work on the cross, we all belong into God's kingdom, no matter what. And that couldn't give us great hope and great joy. But kind of the question, sometimes when working with students, they always ask, so what? Like, for, like why does this even matter? Why does it even matter that we belong in God's kingdom? Well, I want to tell you tonight that you belong to in God's kingdom to help build God's kingdom. You belong to help build God's kingdom. Because we know to belong is a verb, and, to ver- and a verb is an action thing, right? So you got to do something. And I think that when you're in part of God's kingdom, he's calling us to build, help build his kingdom. Right? Because he says that we're like building blocks, fitting stone by stone, brick by brick together. And when you look at us individually, we're just a stone. But when you look at us from God's point of view, you see a kingdom, right? But he doesn't call us just... Uh, just one stone. He calls us living stones. Look at 1 Peter 2, verses 4 through 5. It says, As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by men, but chosen by God, and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Because before in the Old Testament, we knew that God's presence and manifested itself inside of a temple, that it was kind of like a tent. It was a place where people would go to and to encounter God's presence. But through in the New Testament, you see, through Jesus Christ's work on the cross and through the sending of the Holy Spirit, that God dwells in each and every one of us. 
And so when he talks about us being living stones, he doesn't say that we're supposed to be stagnant and solitary. He says that we're supposed to be alive and breathing. And so that we can go and we're sent out into the world knowing that we carry God's presence in us and reflect that out through us. That we carry God's power in us, that we carry his peace in us, and we carry his love in us. So I hope that you're encouraged and you know that you belong in God's kingdom. But you don't just belong in God's kingdom to just be in God's kingdom. You belong to help build God's kingdom as well. So we've talked about belonging. We've talked about the kingdom, or we've talked about the kingdom of God. What does this mean to the next generation? How do we, what do we do with all of this knowledge now? There's a story in the Bible of a woman named Hannah. And there's, and Hannah was, in the story of the Bible, it's found in 1 Samuel chapter 1. And Hannah was not able to get pregnant for a really long time. And she was really not able to get pregnant, and it caused her so much distress, it caused her so much grief and anguish, that she was found on the steps of the temple weeping and crying. And then and it, she was making so much of a scene of herself that it attracted the attention of this priest named Eli. And Eli saw her, and the Bible says that he thought that she was drunk. He thought that she was drunk, and so he comes up to her, ready to rebuke her, ready to correct her, ready to send her on her way so that she doesn't cause, like, a bigger scene at the temple of God. And so he comes up to her, and and he asks her, and he says, when are you going to stop drinking? You need to get rid of your wine. And then she responds, and she says, I'm not drunk. I'm here because I'm crying out to God. Out of my distress and anguish, I'm found crying at the steps of God, because I want so bad to have a baby. So in this story, then Eli then turns to her and realizes, oops, I'm not, that was not the reason that I thought she was here. And then he says, he says to her, go in peace and may the God of Israel grant you what you have asked of him. So then he sends her, I'm sure he's trying to correct for himself, right, because he's a priest, and he sends her out, speaking hope into her life, and speaking a blessing over her. So when I think about the belonging in the kingdom of God and the next generation, I think this is a model of how we can live and bring the next generation into belonging. In this story, Hannah was misunderstood by the priests, but it wasn't until the priest Eli came to her and asked her what was going on, then did he really begin to hear her story, really began to hear why she was there. And then upon hearing that, his heart changed, and he then sent her out. So as I hear this passage, and as we think about the interactions between Hannah and the priest Eli, I'm challenged to ask ourselves the following two questions. And the first question is, are we willing to be, are we listening to others and hearing their stories? Are we listening to others and hearing their stories? Because we have to first be willing to hear to listen just as Eli did. Because we can come with our preconceived notions and our judgments first, but it was the fact that Eli listened to Hannah that he was then changed, and then he was able, his heart was moved through different course of action. In asking Hannah why she was at the steps of the temple, it says in the Bible that she was, her mouth was moving and she was weeping, but there was no sound coming from her voice. But when Eli came up to her and asked her why she was there, she then answered and her voice was found. Because so we have to remember that that in this story that Eli was validating her voice. Eli was validating her as a person, not as just a nuisance and and a bother to the temple. 
So the story of Eli and Hannah shows us is that we can't always rely on our own judgments. And we know that, right? A lot of times we make judgments or we can think certain things about situations. And then we come and we're like, oops, that wasn't how it was that I thought it was. And then we have to remember that behaviors are often symptoms of heart issues. That sometimes when people lash out at us in pain or lash out at us, it's often because there's pain in their heart. There's something that's underneath and underneath all of that. Recently on Facebook, a mom that I know asked to the general public, she posted this as her status, and she said, what do you think are or will be the defining characteristics of this emerging generation? She was asking because she has two 15-year-old twin sons who are, they're all part, they're, go, they're part of church. And so I immediately, I was interested because I was interested to see what people were thinking of. So I started to follow it. And as the responses came, there were some positive ones, but there were a lot of negative ones as well. There were words that stuck out to me were words like entitled, stubborn, emotionally detached, confused, self-serving. So upon hearing those words, I started to think about generations. And as she talked about what's going to happen or what's the characteristics of this emerging generation, I started thinking about generations. And so, of course, naturally I thought about what generation I'm a part of because I like to think about where I am and where I belong. And so I'm part of the millennial generation, meaning that I was born in the 90s. So I'm a 90s kid. I grew up watching Arthur every day after school. And sometimes I still watch it after school. (laughs) I also, I grew up with a lot of different musicians who emerged. I actually really love Justin Bieber. (laughs) I, like, love Justin Bieber, so I'm a 90s kid. But also, at the same time, I also saw and was a part of the rise of social media in the 90s, where Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram became these platforms where people were, causes were being advanced, people were reacting to it, things, and now social media is this huge thing that is so powerful in our world. So as I think about generations, for me, it's easy to say things like, when I was younger, I remember having to plug in the cord to the wall and to the computer to get internet, right, DSL. And so I remember that, and I can say, like, oh, these kids these days, it's so easy for them to just get internet with a one click on their phone, right? They don't even have to click. They just put their finger to that thing, and the, the fingerprint lets them in to the internet. So they're really impatient. We can say that they're really sometimes really impatient or they're so needy because they need everything at the drop of a button, at the drop of a hat. So it's easy for us to say these things of like, when I was younger, things were like this or I didn't have to do this or I had to do this. And if we're not careful, sometimes those statements can become really negative really fast. Because sometimes we may think, and if those statements start to become negative, we start to think that maybe this, every subsequent generation is a little bit lesser than or less than our current generation, that our generation. So if we're not careful, we can allow ourselves to have a negative perception about the n- next generation. And if those kind of, those generalizations are being allowed to be said and allowed to resonate in us, then we start to identify those as maybe truth and reality. So much to the point where when we are driving down the street and we see a kid walking down the street, we no longer see just a student with a story. We see, oh, he's probably just like those, all those kids who do this or do that. So that kid loses his face, he loses his personhood, and loses his voice. Because we have allowed lies and, gener- uh, lies and generalizations to become truth and reality. We've allowed this, a student to become part of a statistic, to lose their story. 
And yes, I recognize that there are character traits that are both positive and negative that are just sociologically, those, those are just observations that we can have about society. But we have to remember that those are markers defined by culture. Those are defined by the world. They're defined by the society. They are not the markers that God has placed and already declared over each generation. So we have to know we cannot let society give or have the authority to define the identity of every generation. We have to be able to declare that we have to recognize and fight against those words of entitled and stubborn. And we have to reject them, but we also, we reject them, but we replace them with the, the truth that God has already declared over each and every student. That they're fearfully and wonderfully made, that they're created for a purpose, that they're the ones who are going to sustain God's kingdom, and that they're the ones that are who's going to help build God's kingdom with us. So I challenge you to see those in the next generation the way that God sees them. To realize that they're to be invested in, to fight against those lies that are being put on them and the words that are spoken about them. And I think the easiest way that we can do this is to do just as Eli did with Hannah, is to learn their stories, is to ask them, Who, why are you here? How did you get here? What's going on in your life? Because when you ask them their stories, they'll tell you, and they'll say, this is, how, this is why I'm here, and this is what I'm struggling with. And when we are able to identify a person and create faces for the next generation, it's going to give us hope for the, for the kingdom of God. So that's the first question, is are we listening to others and hearing their stories? The second question I have for you is, are we giving away hope? We, Eli heard Hannah's story and then gave her hope by saying, go in peace and may the God of Israel grant you what you have asked of him. Eli didn't give her a checklist of everything that she needed to do so that she could eventually have a baby. She eventually did after he sent her out and she named him Samuel. But Eli sent her and pointed her back to God, saying that go, continue living your life, but go and look and continue to press into Jesus. So giving away hope is not sometimes is not saying that you have all the answers or you know exactly what that person needs to do or needs to be. It's simply walking alongside of them. It's stepping into the space where they are and saying, I'm here to cry with you. I'm here to hurt with you. I sometimes don't even have to talk with you, but I can just be with you. For students, that's so powerful, is when we come in and we say, yeah, that really sucks. I'm sorry. Because that validates their feelings. It validates their personhood, and it validates their voice. Because after that, they realize that they do have a voice, and that they have a voice that can cry out to God, just like Hannah did on the steps. So as Christians, we place our hope in God because we know that God is good, God is faithful, because when we hope in God and the hope of salvation, we know that's something that we can hold on to. And so when we point students that way, we're in the next generation that way, we're giving them something to hold on to. Something that is actually going to give them hope and sustain them. When I lived in southern France, I lived in a city called Marseille. And in Marseille, there is a huge population of Comorian immigrants. Comorians are from the islands of the Comoros. And in the Comoros Islands are actually located off the coast of Madagascar in Africa. And the Comorians are where they were, the Comoros Islands were colonized by the French. And so they speak French in the Comoros as well as their native dialect. And so when the Comorians want to gain a better life or kind of find a new place of work, they will often come to France 
because it's the place where they already know the language. So it's interesting because when I lived there, there was a huge population of Comorians. Like it was probably about 50, 50, or like most of the time, I was seeing Comorian people, North Africans, um, people from the Middle East rather than the French people. And so in the Comoros, there's actually, in, actually in Marseille, there's more people in the city, there's more Comorians living in Marseille than there are in the capital city of Comoros. So there's tons of Comorians. And all the, Comori, the Comoros Islands is a Muslim nation. And so my first two weeks of living in Marseille, I went and I knew an American family, but I, the American family had connections with a Comorian family. So I did a home stay for two weeks in a Comorian family's home. So it was a Muslim Comorian immigrant home. So I came with my bags after a couple days settling into the time zone. And I came and I lived with this Muslim family. And I walked in and I, I didn't know where I was going to sleep. And so I walked in. It was like a fairly normal looking apartment. It was kind of a different smell. And I came in and I was looking around and they showed me my room. And my room happened to be the same room as their two teenage daughters. And I was like, whoa, this is going to be too close quarters for me. So I ended up, so I, but I stayed, but I was committed to stay there. So I stayed there for two weeks. The, the Comorian Muslim family, their name, it was a mom, a dad, a son, and two daughters, two teenage daughters, 14 and 16 years old. And I lived there, and upon living there, I quickly found out the different lives that we lived. I was a Korean American. They were expecting an American. They were maybe not expecting a Korean American walking in. So that was one thing where they were like, you don't look American. The second thing, so I'm Korean-American. They're Comorian-French. That's not what I expected even either. Like, they don't look like the French. They don't, like, eat like the French either. They, I am a Christian, and they are a very devout Muslim. I witnessed firsthand their prayers early in the morning, the way that they fasted, the way that they went to the mosque, when they went, all the time, because I lived in the same room as them. And I remember becoming, and I became very close to one of the daughters, and her name is Faye, and I became close to her, and we would just hang out, and partly because for me, it would help me increase my French level, because I could just talk with her, and she was really forgiving and really kind of wanted to know. She had a lot of questions about the United, the United States. She basically asked, does everybody live in Hollywood? No. Does everybody, <laughs> does everybody live in Miami? No. Does everybody live in New York? No. We all live all over the, the U.S., and so it was me hanging out with her. We would often go, um, it was actually kind of embarrassing, we would actually go to McDonald's a lot because McDonald's for them, and for her, um, she came out of, she was born into economic poverty. And so her family doesn't always have meat on the table. They can have rice and they can have beans. And so for her, going out to eat was a real special treat. So I take her out for McDonald's. We get like fries or whatever and ice cream cone. And it was very similar menu to we have here, just so you know. Um, and we would start, and we would start to have conversations. And me, I would kind of, I would come prepared with different questions for her because I'd pre-prep them in French because I would like Google Translate of like, how do I say this and her, and how do I ask her for this? And so I'd ask, I'd come with these questions. And so this one time, I came to her and I said, Hey, what are some of the things that are on like your bucket list? And I wanted to, I translated bucket list, and I was like, I wonder if this works in French. So I asked her, What are some of the things on your bucket list? Things that you want to dream of doing, things that you really want to do, places you want to go, things you want to see. And I told her some of mine, like on my bucket list is to complete a triathlon. On my bucket list is to go travel all over the world. And so I started to ask her this question. I gave her some space and she was eating, I remember she was eating french fries and she looked up to me and she said, I've never thought about that before. I've never thought about 
what would be on my bucket list. I've never thought about what I would ever want to do outside of my, my life right now. And in that moment, my heart sank because I real and I was so saddened because of the way that there was no hope in her life. That she, all she knew was that she was going to graduate high school, that she was going to go maybe to college. She's probably just going to find a job and then get married and have a family, and that was it. Even, even though she was a Muslim, she had no hope for heaven even because she knew that she just had to keep on working, working, working. She had to continually do her prayers over and over again. She had to go to the mosque. She had to memorize all the Quran to get to any kind of level to be considered to go into heaven. So in that moment, I realized that she didn't have hope and nothing, even the illusion of the Western world, like they would watch a lot of like English, American TV, even that kind of illusion of a better life sometime where else, that didn't even stir anything in her because she knew that it was so far out of her reach that why would she even try to get that far? Because she was looking at her own situation, realizing that there's no way I can get there. So in that moment, I realized a couple of things. I first realized that, my goodness, she needs Jesus. <laughs> that only through Jesus could she receive the hope of salvation and hope that would sustain her the rest of her lives. When everything else in her world will potentially fail, that she would receive hope through Jesus, she could hold on to that. And in this, the second thing that I realized was that, that God had placed me in her life to be able to speak that hope into her life. That God had placed me in her life to be able to say, hey, let's think about places that are really cool and figure out, start dreaming. So I can tell you that so many young people have stopped dreaming for their lives. They're so stuck in, this is all it's going to be. I'm never going to amount to anything. Partly and sometimes because they start to believe the lies of the generalizations we put upon them, but also because that's just where they're at. And for young people, they need to start dreaming and start to be reaching for things because that's just going to be what sustains them when things get hard. And we all know the ways that life can get hard and get really rocky really fast. So for me, even just hanging out with her, being able to share McDonald's with her was me building that relationship and building hope into her life. So as we remember that we have belonging with God in his kingdom, let's not forget that this belonging calls us to help also build God's kingdom. And that belonging we can also bring in the next generation because the next generation is what's going to be sustaining God's kingdom. That's going to be what's building God's kingdom. And remember that we have to listen to their stories. We have to declare and affirm their identity in God, speaking hope into their lives. I can tell you for a fact that God is moving in the students here at PSCC, that God is doing big things in each and every student's lives here. And that's so amazing because every week I'm so amazed at high schoolers and middle schoolers who are worshiping God, who are seeking God, even when they're just like reading the Bible. I recently had five of my youth students on the worship team together for just a discipleship, for just an hour and they were just sitting there, and I said, hey, let's just do, a, let's just soak together. Let's do our devos together. And we read Romans chapter 1, just Romans chapter 1. And I said, hey, we're going to read Romans together. And so Romans chapter 1, and they started doing it because they knew how to do a soap, and they started reading God's Bible. And I, it was so precious to me for me to see them just kind of sitting in a circle reading the Bible. They read it out loud together, and then they all journaled. And then we shared what each of them had kind of gotten out of this, the Bible verse, or the Bible's chapter. And they all shared something different. They all shared something different that God had been speaking to them about and how it had related to their current life situation. 
So God is moving in the lives of young people. We see it all the time in camp. God is moving in lives so dramatically that lives are being transformed. People are being called into ministry and to be called as missionaries. And so I challenge you to continue to ask those questions of what their story is. How can, they, how can what is, what's God doing? What's God teaching them in their, in their lives? And let's speak hope into them, affirming who they are in Jesus. So would you pray with me as we kind of close out and ask God to help us in all of this? Jesus, we thank you for who you are. We thank you that through the, the cross that you brought in belonging for us into your kingdom, that you invited us to belong into your kingdom, but not just to belong, but belong to help build your kingdom, Lord, that you will give us the honor of being able to build your kingdom. So God, would you continue to affirm that truth in us, that we belong somewhere, that we belong in your kingdom when we can't find places where we belong in this world? So God, would you affirm that? But also, would you start to stir in us this movement, this idea, this fire for us to bring the next generation also into this place of belonging? Because God, we know that it can't just be us building your kingdom, Lord. We have to bring in others. And those are going to be in the next generation. So God, would you give us the strength to be able to ask young people what their story is, to be able to affirm their personhood, to be able to say that I care about you and I care who you are, the struggles you go through, and I want to walk with you. Would you also affirm in us that give us the words and the wisdom to be able to speak hope into their lives, to point them towards you, because we know only you can satisfy their deepest hurts. Only you can bring comfort to those places of pain in their lives, and that you can bring healing also to the places of brokenness in their lives. So God, we ask that you would give us the strength, that you would give us the will and the desire to continue to be building your kingdom, Lord. Because God, we know that your kingdom is great, your kingdom is good, and that your kingdom will reign forever. So God, we pray and ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Can I ask you a couple questions? Yeah. All right, first of all, Justin Bieber, really? Yeah, his concert was so good this past week. <laughs> it was so good. I was so amazed. I definitely will. I can say I have Bieber fever. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, you, you know, you, I just have a question. So talking about belonging, the, I have three little, little people, young people who, um, who found an identity and a belonging in Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram super fast. But, but, but I wonder, like, how, how do, as, as a parent, when a kid is found their identity in Facebook and, and found their belonging, found their home, found their people in Facebook one day, and the next day they're unfriended, and they feel as if they've now, they're out of belonging, they don't belong anymore. How, do you, how does a kid realize that that's not really real? Like, like, what would you say to a kid when you realize that's great that Instagram and social media is wonderful, but that we really need to help them belong more than just some sort of a social context that's not real. What's something that you would say to a parent to help them really encourage them to get into real real relationships that are more than just an unfriended tit away with your finger? I would say to parents, and saying this even just not as a parent, but seeing a lot of students who do go through this of like not being able to, of being, not really understanding true belonging. I would say that it's so important that they are being asked questions of really how do they feel. 
of how do they really feel about certain situations. Because when they start to start self-reflecting, they start to realize what they're missing and the things and the places where they need to go and start to be filling those areas. Because it is somewhat true that there's a lot of people who are connecting on Facebook a lot are just really emotionally detached. So they learn that like, oh, it's just like a cook of button. I can create this own persona of myself online. But it's really when they start to reflect and see that I don't like feeling like I have to create somebody else for me to be able to fit in, that they realize then they can start to find those real relationships with real people. And so it's that self-reflection of why do you feel this way, of how does this make you feel, and really of what do you think you need to do to change it? Because I tell students all the time, I can say a bunch of stuff to you, and I can encourage you, and I can like give you incentives to read your Bible and do all these different things, but if you don't really want it yourself, then I can't really conjure that up for you. But helping students to realize that you can find this and what do you need for yourself? Do you really feel like you need Jesus? And how? And, and once they get to that point, there's no stopping them. That they realize that Jesus is all that they need and all that they want at that point. That's awesome. So, so one last question. You know, as, I, this, as a parent, it's super easy for, when our kids were little, it's super easy for them to say, Daddy, I can't tie my shoes. And me to come in there and say, like, well, here's how. Make the bunny run around the and get into the hole. I mean, it's easy to do that, right? It's easy for a parent to see a kid start to lose their minds or, or, or manifest their I don't belong, whatever it is that looks like, and for us to want to come in and just fix it. What would you say to the parent when you just said something really powerful? You said, just listen. Because that's super hard as a parent because we want to make them stop hurting. We want to fix their bowie. But we want to help them tie their shoe. How, how do you tell a parent to just kind of just listen a step longer? Like, how do you do that? Because it's difficult. I do recognize that it is difficult if you, and I don't experience this because I'm not a parent yet, but I can't imagine watching your son or your daughter go through pain and you just being able to be like, there's not really much that I can do or you don't know what to do. And I would say that as a, to the parents, that it's really then um, allowing them to, because we know that we all have to allow them in some ways to fail, that we, that we will learn from that, but also being able to kind of create those boundaries so that if you know that they're going to kind of fail and, fail and kind of hit something, then they would be able to say that, okay, that was, that was a failure, but let's get right back up and let's figure out what it was like that and let's figure out how that make you feel and how to, what can we do different this time. And so I think in some ways it's also just being patient because they were, they're so, sometimes young people are just so finicky. Like they'll do one thing and then they'll turn and do another thing and they just won't even realize what they're doing. So we just have to be patient. We have to have lots of grace. We have to realize that God's bigger, that God knows the plans that, they, that, that, that he has for them and that God's going to bring them in and that it's the, it's the journey. It's so much about the journey as much as it is about the destination because if we're all about the destination, I think God would have designed it a different way. Amen. The longer I listen to you talk, the more I'm convinced that you're just a really big deal. I'm really proud. Isn't she amazing? Come on. Right off. It's true. Amazing. Thank you. <laughs> We're blessed. Mommies, daddies, whatever you got. And those of you who are listening to us online, I'm telling you, we are blessed. This is a, this is a young lady who is just, who's walking it out and, and standing on the front lines with our young people. And if you haven't seen the content of her character just by standing up here, and you, you spend just two minutes with her and you begin to see why, why she's leading your young people. It's pretty remarkable. Some of you tonight feel like you don't belong. 
Some of you tonight feel like you are on the outside looking in. Almost as if you, you look inside of a window and you see the seat at the table and you think it belongs to you, but you don't know how to get in there. Some of you feel like, I, I, I want to belong to this church. I, I want to belong to this community. I want to, but I just, I don't, I don't, I don't measure up. I'm not good enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm not spiritual enough. I'm not clean enough. I just want to tell you tonight, whatever it is that you're not enough of is really not the answer. It's not the point. Because it's what he's enough of that makes you the point. He's the one that puts you at the table when you don't deserve it. So wherever it is that you are tonight, with whatever it is that you're standing on the outside of that you're wanting to get in the midst of, I want you to know, man, it's Jesus who gives the purpose. It's Jesus who gives the healing. It's Jesus who gives the wholeness. Maybe that's you tonight and you feel like you're just kind of looking in the window, but you want to you wanna, wanna belong. And maybe we just need to ask Jesus to help us to do that. So can we respond to that word tonight? Father, tonight we come and we thank you for an opportunity to to hear an amazing word. God, a, a word that's more than just sort of a rah, rah, go get him slugger. But God, really, I believe this is a prophetic word to, our, to, to us, not only as parents, but God, as just people. The Father, like Ellen said, there's so many of us that are just desiring to belong. You made us to want to belong. We just keep coming up with weird things to belong to that aren't you're wanting us to belong to. So, Father, I pray this evening, God, that there would be men and women who would respond by saying, Jesus, I just want to belong to you. Maybe tonight that's you. You just want to belong to him. You want a seat at the table, but the truth is, really what you need is a seat on his lap and allowing him to bring healing to you. That's you just say, Jesus, I want to belong to you. I want to belong to you. Maybe you've made some mistakes, some decisions you wish you could take back. You come near him. He's the one that brings the healing. Let him heal you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen. Ellen, thank you. It was awesome. Hey, I... I